Groundhog Day, everyone's saying it, but it is definitely getting to be Groundhog Day for me. Emma, you're still in New York, though. You're like, you're coming back. You're coming back to Minnesota, what, next week? Probably two weeks from now. Two I'll weeks. Be one more podcast here. And then two, in two weeks, I got to move my stuff and all of that fun stuff. That'll be fun. So as of right now, school is still in session. Master student now, so not undergrad, but master students. Is school still in session? And uh, it's it's happening. It's rolling forward. We'll see where we'll see where it plays out. What about you, Anne? What have you What have you been up to? How you been keeping busy? Oh, oh I'm just hoarding cocktails over here in Third House for our school announcement later today about Minneapolis and uh, the surrounding cities' school plan for the fall. So yeah, I think right. we all know what's coming. We're just uh, not we're in denial until the <laughs> official is an announcement is made later today. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. Today's the big announcement. Yeah, for those, that, for those loyal followers, you know, we record usually on Thursday and then release on Friday. But yeah, big announcement here in Minnesota around, what is it? Probably 2 p.m. I think is when the announcement is. 2, 2 p.m. is D-Day time. It's 2 p.m. It's, we uh, find out if the kids go back to school. And yeah. God knows, you know, lots of schools, of schools of thought, pun intended, on that one. Uh, but yeah, that'll be an interesting announcement. You're right. What, what's on the docket for drinking later, regardless of how the announcement goes? <laughs> oh my goes? gosh, so many options. You know, we don't know what's coming at us. So might be just, you know, a beer to just prepare for, all right, we're all going back to school and it'll be fine. Or we just get right to like fireball shots. You know, you never know. Fireball, we're prepared nice. for all scenarios here. You know, that, you know, it's funny. On the weekend, I actually had a 40, buddy of mine, good, really good friend of mine, shout out to Oven Bonsal, a loyal fan of the show too, former Wayfair employee. He, uh, he had his 40th birthday and I felt bad for the guy because we had to do it virtually. So but what his, did you do? What his, happens at a virtual 40th birthday party? Yeah, his wife, his wife was all on it. Shout out to Nitty too. But wife, his wife set up this like virtual bartending class for like 10 or 12 of us. I don't know how many of us there were. You on guys there. are so bougie. Yeah. Well, no, it was cool. I was making, I was, I was making drinks with rum and like I made my own simple syrup and some orange and I had some bitters even in the drink. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was tasty. Instacart so, delivers all of those things. How were you prepared for it? Did you get a list ahead of time of all the ingredients? It did. Yeah, it did. And then, okay. yeah, and then, of course I ordered cause I haven't left my house in like five months. Yeah, no, it was good. It was it worked really well, and uh, Mrs. Omni Talk and I shared a cocktail after the festivities were over. So this was we, a rum-based drink. So you're totally on trend right now with the rum. yeah. It was rum-based. Okay. We also made a tequila-based drink, and so right. but yeah, I tried some rum just because I hadn't had it in a while, and yeah, it was good stuff. But yeah, so if you're in the in the need for like some type of virtual celebration, like the virtual cocktail thing was pretty cool. So or um, you're recovering from recommend. school announcements. <laughs> Also, yeah, also or you just crack open case. a bud and that's call right. your best friends on that's video. Right. Yeah, that's the other way to go about it. All right. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's get to the headlines. But first, of course, let's give a shout out to our sponsor. And our sponsor of this week's OmniTalk Fast Five is Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. 
Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And we have some exciting news on the sponsorship front. Can't announce it yet, but next week we actually are going to introduce a new sponsor into our fold, both for our OmniTalk Fast Five as well as our daily Top Talk on LinkedIn. If you haven't checked that out on LinkedIn yet, please, please do so. You can get our daily rundown of all the top five stories that we are curating for you each and every week right in your feed. Just follow us on LinkedIn. And we actually hope and plan to do that more on a daily basis with our emails here soon as well. So check it out. All right. And lots of exciting things. I know, right? Like things are moving. We've got some big announcements coming your way on the OmniTalk side here too, probably over the next two to three months in terms of some of the things we've been working on. Can no, can no COVID hold us down at OmniTalk? We're, we're going to push through. Down. That's right. All right. The same way over and over again. All right. But <laughs> Anne, you are leading us off. You want to start am. us off today? Okay. Well, everybody knows it, but uh, Amazon, among others, have been in the news uh, this week because of uh, the congressional hearings. But we have another headline specifically related to Amazon, and that is... According to a Fox Business article, Amazon has met with startups about investing and then turned around and launched competing products. So they're under fire once again, not just from Congress, but also because of the Wall Street Journal report, where more than two dozen entrepreneurs, investors, and deal advisors said that Amazon appeared to use the investment and deal-making process to help develop competing products. Uh, In some cases, Amazon's decision to launch a competing product devastated the business that it invested in. In other cases, it met with startups about potential takeovers and sought to understand how their technology works and then declined to invest later on um, and then introduced uh, similar Amazon branded products. So you also may recall there was some of this news back in April that we were reported on um, where employees were talking about this specifically as it pertains to private label um, and Amazon doing the same thing there. But curious your thoughts, guys. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the story when it broke back in April, I, I didn't make much of that. I mean, I remember you and I talked about this. I can't remember if we covered it on the show. I think we might. I think we, yeah, I maybe think we did. did a little bit back when mm-hmm. Carter was here. You know, that one never really riled me up that much because I think that's just, you know, standard practice. Like if an item from some generic CPG brand is selling well, like everyone in retail is going to know about it. And every retailer in the world is going to try to knock it off from a private label perspective. And in fact, some of the manufacturers that are probably making that product are taking it to the retailers to try to, to knock it off. So I didn't think that was that big a deal. Digital shelf space is just a different form of shelf space. So understanding what's selling in your store is akin to what's traditionally been done. And, you know, retailers are playing those games with, you know, where they put, you know, different things on end caps or whatnot in relation to how Amazon's doing that online with the different things they do to entice people to, to buy. This story, though, as I read it, it's a little different. Like, Is it? Yeah, this one. Okay. Like, specifically, if you, if you, read, if you, read, the, if you read some of what's written, like, the, there's a piece in there about living social and how Amazon was an investor in living social I want to say it was up to like 30%. They invested at 30% share at the time. Right. At the time, they were on the board and they were asking potentially for information and then using that to launch potentially the, the, the allegations were that they were potentially using that to uh, inform some of their own business strategies. Now, who knows if any of that is true, but when you go from like 
standard retail practice of like, let's just like see what's out there and make better products ourselves. But when you go into like, you have a fiduciary responsibility, you know, as you're looking at, or, you know, people are having certain expectations about sharing information with you as new businesses, you know, you've always got to be cautious of that as a startup, but like there's different degrees of how that can play out. And so that part gets a little weird to me. I know, I know Bezos said yesterday, like we've never absolutely a hundred percent have never done that. And who knows, maybe it's true, but like, yeah, I mean, I, Amazon for me, get this in line. Cause if you start going into this territory, that's, that's, that gets me a little willy nilly. Yeah. Agreed. Emma, what do you think? The first thing when I saw this was like, of course they're doing that. So I think as a consumer, I really trust Amazon, but as a business, I would not trust them at all. So that was really my kind of two cents on it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I thought too. When I first read it was like, okay, you have like the startup pitches, they come in, they try to like get their products or whatever. There's some conversation happening. I'm like, yeah, come on, buyer beware. Like, you know, that that's, you got to be thoughtful about that. And again, you know, that could happen just walking a trade show floor. Like you're going to see all these different technologies that are out there. But yeah, but when it goes to that next level where there's an actual relationship, where there's kind of this mutual acceptance of the fact that we're going to help each other, that becomes, I think, a little more problematic. I don't, Anne, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I actually had a similar thought process as I did when this whole, this whole thing came out about um, them trying to knock off private label brands. I kind of feel like this is the same thing that's happening when you go to VCs for any sort of investment. I mean, you're opening up your books as a brand. You're making yeah. that decision that if you're going to sell on the Amazon platform, they're going to have access to your data. It's just part of the deal. Now, whether or not that's fair and whether or not they have a monopoly, I mean, I think that's what Congress is trying to get to the bottom of right now and start to regulate. But for me, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, what did you expect? And what do you expect when you have somebody invest this much money in your company? Um, they're going to either have have control over the decisions that are being made. They're going to have more, you know, board positions. Like, I think it's a bigger issue in how startups and, and companies are seeking funding right now. And actually not to keep bringing up Shopify into all of this, but I start to think about the other platforms that um, that retailers have for selling. And when you start to be able to get access to capital in other ways, instead of having to seek it from large VC funds that are going to take over a lot of control and who could, if in the case of Amazon, actually end up you know, making your business collapse altogether. Um, I think that's what's going to drive the the real change here. I think as long as they're going to be selling or working with or getting investment or incubation funds or or expertise from Amazon, you're opening yourself up to that. Yeah, and that's where the investment piece is really key. And I want to close on that just for the audience is like the good V and and let's be I want to be clear on this too. Like the good VCs know that if they do this, the people aren't going to come to them for money anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, right? They're very thoughtful about that. And in fact, when we were out trying to raise money. I, there was, I will give a lot of credit to one of the VCs who said, you know what, we've, we've, we have already invested something that sounds so much like this before you've even sat down with us. We're not even going to look at this because that's just not the right thing to do. And so, yeah, you've got to, so that's how that type of relationship should run. And I think the good VCs are doing it that way. And you're right. You've got to think then, okay, what are you really trying to accomplish and who are the best partners to try to accomplish that with? And Amazon, you can run yourself this way but you better have some pretty damn good safeguards and firewalls to make sure that that's what's happening. Cause investment versus like product selling and where you put your products in and what distribution platforms and all that, 
I think that's a totally separate side of this conversation, even though those things are always getting lumped in together or the mm-hmm. incubation fairs and that kind of stuff too. All right, let's move on. I've got the next story. This one's fun. This one made me chuckle. I think it made a few people chuckle on LinkedIn as well. According to the New York Post, Sycamore Partners has offered almost $2 billion, about $1.75 billion to buy JCPenney's and a plan to merge it with North Carolina-based Belk, which is a struggling department store chain of about 300 stores located mostly in the South. For those keeping score, score at home, JCPenney's has also acquired interest from Hudson Bay Company, which owns Saks Fifth Avenue and has reportedly offered $1.7 billion. And of course, I think as we've talked about previously, Simon Property and Brookfield Property, which have teamed up to offer about $1.65 billion. Now, if this plan with Belk goes forward, the plan is to rebrand about 250 JCPenney stores to Belk stores in markets where the two don't overlap. And the current Belk CEO, Lisa Harper, would actually run the new entity. And for background, and this is why I got tripped up before, Sycamore also owns Talbot's or has investment interest in Talbot's, Staples, and the limited three who's who's of current, new, evolving omnichannel retailers. All right. What do you guys think? Who wants this one first? And what do you think? Uh, well, we were, we were joking back and forth when this story came out. It was like JCPenney, Belk, Potato, Potato. I mean, they're basically the same store. I don't know if you guys have been in a Belk, but it's almost identical experience as a JCPenney's, a Kohl's, you know, Macy's, the same type of model. You walk through the cosmetics section, you go into shoes, you have women's, like it's all, it's the thing we've the, seen since the like dinosaur the, department store, right? The marvelous and, Mrs. Maisel department store. Right. And I'm actually, as I was reading through the Sycamore Partners portfolio of brands it's like holy cow you just this is all legacy brands they also were looking at victoria's secret potentially for a while and it's like yeah to me i think um the problem is not buying more and creating more belks it's how you rethink and reimagine the belk the jc penny as we've talked about several times in the store so for me i think this is not the move i would be looking for if i was uh jc penny i would be looking for somebody that maybe has a few more progressive ideas is not continuing to invest in the same brands yeah emma what do you think i'm i'm over this i <laughs> i was looking <laughs> i thought the amazon potential offer was really cool like redo all these JC Pennies, make the mall something new and exciting, reinvent the department store, or just get rid of it entirely. I looked at Belk's um, website because I wasn't sure what Belk was. And I was like, are you serious? I mean, it's the same thing. It's old. It's tired. I just, I'm over it. Yeah, I mean, me too. I think so too. I mean, I, I feel the same way about whether, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's Hudson Bay or, you know, whether it's this deal, like it's, it's no different. And to me, like, I'll never forget Bob Ulrich when Kmart and, G- and uh, Sears got together uh, with Eddie Lampert back, you know, God, I don't know what year that was, 2006, 2007. And he stood up in front of us at Target and he said, when I was asked about this, I had one quick comment to say, two wrongs never make a right. And I think, I think that's the case here in retail. Like these two wrongs are not going to improve the situation. And you just said, why is like the department, and Emma, you too, the department store needs to re- be reinvented. And what I think it still shows too is that you've got these groups who are just going to go in and just bleed these companies dry 
from a real estate perspective and whatever other financial incentives are in these deals, but nothing's ever going to happen as a result from a retail perspective. So the way we think about these brands, and I probably feel the same way quite honestly about Talbot, Staples, and the Limited, is you know, put a fork in them. It's only a matter of time before they're done or they're going to become less and less relevant. I mean, my favorite quote from the article was this. It was the, the, the source, quote unquote, the source. He said, quote, J.C. Penney's is the lifeboat for Belk, which wants to compete with Macy's nationally. And I read that and I'm like, what? really? That's what you want to do? You want to compete with Macy's nationally? Wow. Yeah, that seems like a flawed strategy from the get-go. So what are you really trying to do here? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I feel like we were talking about this before. Like, who are you using as your benchmark? Is it just other competitors in your same exact space? Or are you looking at people who are the disruptors and other brands who can push your brands further and really try to get you to figure out what that next best move is or where you're going to bring your brand in the next three years, not just doing comp shopping still? And that's why I feel bad for the employees of these companies too, because like you're going to get this investment and you can tell the investments coming from people that don't really understand where retail is headed. They're looking at it as, you know, lines on an income statement or a balance sheet. And like, that's how they're going to make the financial decisions in terms of where this stuff goes. And, you know, the people that are going to take the short end of the stick are all those people working for those stores and working for those companies. And I honestly, I just think it's sad to your point, Emma, like the Amazon thing would be much, much more interesting if true. All right, let's keep moving. Another another department store headline here, Emma. All right, Neiman Marcus is going to be vacating its Hudson Yards Mall in New York. So a Neiman Marcus spokesperson said that the company is closing its Hudson Yards location for good after only being open for about a year, along with two stores in Florida and one in Washington. And then a quote that I thought was interesting from this spokesperson was that, quote, a physical location in Hudson Yards is no longer an ideal space for us, given the preponderance of restaurants and future office space in that mall, end quote. And then Related, which is the development company that built Hudson Yards, has been mm-hmm. shopping the Neiman Marcus space for office tenants. So this is really disappointing to me. I was in this store like six months ago. And I think for Neiman Marcus, if you can't survive here, you're not going to survive anywhere. This is the perfect area for the Neiman Marcus customer. And it's really that mixed development or mixed use development that retailers are trying to get into. So, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. I wish they would give it more of a chance. Yeah. Emma, have you been there? I mean, I think this is so curious because, um, you know, it makes me wonder if this thing was working before COVID even happened. This was supposed to be the most innovative store and, you know, there's, and Neiman's always gotten a lot of credit for being like really innovative and having a ton of R&D going on. But for this to already be getting the hook, you have to wonder how successful it was being. Have you been to, uh, Ann and I have, have, have cruised into it quickly, but Ann, have you been into this store? Emma? I'm curious what your take is on that. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was beautiful. I'm really not the Neiman Marcus kind of customer, right, right. but I looked yeah, inside to see what it was like. Yeah. So I thought it was really beautiful. There was decent foot traffic when I was there, but it was kind of right after Christmas. So you got to take that with a grain of salt. Right. It's always hard yeah. to value like how much traffic is good traffic. Right. Yeah. And what, what do you think here? I think this is absolute bananas, ridiculousness, <laughs> all of the above. Gwen Stefani uh, bananas. I like it. Yeah. So many crazy things. The, Emma said this quote, but I want to say it again. A physical location in Hudson Yards is no longer an ideal space for us, given the preponderance of restaurants and future office space in that mall. I'm sorry. Isn't one of the main things about having a mall experience or having a department store that you want foot traffic? Like what happened to all the malls that are putting food halls in as a constant driver of foot traffic to the store? 
And I think as an aside, I mean, Hudson Yards, that's basically like Vegas dropped in the middle of Manhattan, in my opinion. And so you're drawing this tourist audience anyway. And so like Emma said, if you can't make this work in Hudson Yards, I don't know where you're going to make it work. Um, And so I also think like, you know, down the road, I'm not sure what the what the current uh, office space, you know, per square foot lease rates are right now in Manhattan. But I would imagine that they'd be able to convert that space into office space and have a much more stable environment there and have better, you know, rent agreements, ones that aren't dependent on sales revenue, perhaps. But uh, but yeah, I think this story is a total joke. I'm kind of embarrassed for Neiman Marcus to even have put that statement out. I, I don't know how they could say that. But. Yeah, the other, the, your point, yeah, for those that haven't been there too, and if they have been to Vegas, you're right. I mean, it feels like you're walking between Aria and Cosmopolitan. I mean, that's essentially what Hudson Yards feels like. I thought there was actually a different quote in there that told an even more oh, telling what story. what was it? Hard to believe given what you guys did share in the quote, but listen to this one too. So the same, uh, a same spokesman from Related, which is you know the, one of the real estate developers of the property, they said, quote, it is unfortunate that Neiman Marcus was unable to achieve the success that other retailers have found at Hudson Yards. <laughs> and we look forward to welcoming the designer brands who drove Neiman Marcus's sales to their own stores in the retail centers. So that is fascinating to me because what it says is what we've been, is a theme or a motif we've been talking about for a really long time is that if you're a good brand, if you're a cachet brand, you probably don't need to be selling through these types of department store outlets anymore, especially in high traffic tourist areas. Why not control that experience yourself? We've talked about having that direct relationship to your consumer online, but same thing in a place like Cotton Yards. Like, why not just build your own store that way? You don't need that many of them. There aren't that many locations like this. And it tells you kind of under the curtains, those haven't closed yet. But yet Neiman Marcus, the anchor tenant, we're already saying goodbye to four months into COVID. What's going on there? And it's where do people really want to shop? What's most convenient and what makes sense for the long term? So again, like we talked about with Belk and JCPenney's, like this, this model is done. It's, I think it's over. I really do. I mean, I think you're just seeing it come to fruition right now. And anything to add? No, it'll make beautiful office space. <laughs> well, it will. The The elevators there are it, quite nice. It, I will is, say. it is a beautiful nice. facade. I have to say that. What's that line in Ferris Bueller's? The elevators are so choice. Oh, yeah. All, right. All right. number. right. I've got number four. Um, so number four, a lot of news this week. Many retailers planning to be closed on Thanksgiving. Uh, I'd say over the last seven or eight days, Walmart, Target, Dick's, and Kohl's have all announced that they will be closed on Thanksgiving Day. And Target, for example, is moving many of its promotions for big ticket items online to start as early as October and also trying to introduce as many products. They've said as many as 20,000 more products, including fresh and frozen groceries, to be available for pickup and delivery across as many of its locations as possible by the fall. Man, you guys, what do you think? What? What? What do you think of this? Is it the right move? And Anne, we'll start with you. Is it the right move? Like, and what the hell do you think Thursday and Black Friday are going to look like this year? Who knows? Who knows? I know. This is a good a good plug for a little virtual event that we have coming up next week uh, at Third House too with Erica Shepard. She's going to talk about buyers and and merchants and retailers and how they're preparing for getting brands not only launched but handling q4 um so that might be something to check out and certainly and, where, and erica shepherds from where 
Erica Shepard is from Porto Sunberg, uh, a brand agency here based here in Minneapolis. Um, and so you can find out more about that on thirdhouse.com. But after that quick plug, uh, <laughs> I, I think that this is part of the COVID hall pass that we keep talking about, you know, the last several weeks. But I, I actually read something on Instagram that I thought was hilarious. This guy said, you know, if you don't want to do something during COVID, you can just follow up with any requests that you get really in a pandemic. And so I think that the retailers are applying this to, should we be open on Thanksgiving? Really in a pandemic, you're going to be open on Thanksgiving. So I think that, you know, if you think about the retailers, their staff and their teams have been working at 150% of their effort every single day as it is. So I think to give them this one day that they can look forward to, to not having to come to work is is really smart and i think you know is anybody really going to care this year i don't think so so i guess i'm i'm leaning more on the side of good move walmart target let's just shut down for thanksgiving and give people a 100% confident break that they'll get especially if their kids are going back to school this fall or not going back to school this fall yeah Emma, you've worked black friday i got to say i'm going to miss i'm not going to be out there this year i mean my favorite thing to do is like i think the last like 2 years you carter and i have gone out and like shopped them all. And I'm not going to miss We're that. not going to do that. But Emma, you've worked this. Like, what do you think? I have actually never worked Black Friday and I've oh. never gone shopping on Black Friday. Oh my God, I've worked so. crowd control. It's scarier than hell on Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, yeah, really? I've always okay. gotten to go home. But Are you liking I this move? I am. I mean, nobody needs to go to these places on Thanksgiving and these employees deserve to have one holiday off. In terms of what Black Friday is going to look like, I can't, I don't know. Like you guys said, who knows? It'll definitely be interesting to see, but I think it's a good move on their part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm one thing I'm excited about is I hope it resets the base from a comp perspective, like that we're actually closed on Thanksgiving because I always hated that anyway. I mean, I think on past shows in past years, I always argued like somebody should just do something different and say, you know what, we're closed on Thanksgiving and market the hell out of it as a way to just you know, bolster employee satisfaction and happiness and try to get everyone to shop there because they're the one retailer that actually had the guts to do that. So I'm curious because I, I agree, you don't need to be working Thanksgiving. And in a lot of cases, you're, the employees still are working some of these stores to get ready for Friday. So even though they're not technically open, there's still a lot of work going on inside of them. But I don't know. I was trying to think like on what would I bet, you know, like on what would I place my bets for this holiday season? And like, I think for me, like, I'm curious what you guys think here, but like, I think you're going to see less discretionary purchases overall. Like, I just think, you know, there's not as many people employed. God knows what's going to happen now as they're trying to figure out the relief packages and whatnot. So I don't think people are going to be spending as much money as they did in years past. I think you're going to see an explosion in food though. Like, I think this could be like the Thanksgiving to end all Thanksgivings. Like let's have, like, Ann, you were saying the family party and blow this out. Like let's all get so fat that we can't move off our chairs. that We don't even want to go shopping. That sounds awful. Does it? Oh, I think as an, you're an Italian. I'm an Italian too. I think as an Italian family, that sounds amazing. Like give me some meatballs and some turkey. And yeah, all if you had meatballs for Thanksgiving, but I don't know. You know how I feel about Thanksgiving food. So I'm not even going to go there. But oh yeah, you're not still. a Thanksgiving person. But anyway, you can have Italian Thanksgiving. But anyway, and then like the part that I can't figure out though, and I'm curious what you guys think and what our listeners think too. I can't figure out what the discounting activity is going to be like. Like I could, I could make an argument that maybe there'll be less. But I could also make an argument that the retailers that haven't been smart, who have overinvested in their inventory, who have planned to be open, are going to be sitting on a ton of inventory. 
are going to have to get so price competitive that this thing is going to be the nastiest bloodbath of all time because you also have to ship all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like, like if you move all that promotional activity online that everyone's used to, that they were getting in a store, but aren't going and people have still built their inventories up in that way, this could get really gross real quick. And so I, I'm curious what you guys think, because I'm not sure which side of the aisle I fall on. I think the smart retailers are going to kind of edge their way into this and figure out how deep do I need to go? We've already heard grocery discounts being pulled back in general. Are we going to see the same thing here now through holiday? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. It's going to be crazy. Not sure. Yeah. Buckle up. Yeah. I think probably the smaller brands will get pretty aggressive. All right. Let's close it out. And this last story is fascinating. Yeah. It's a total double take story. Yeah, for sure. Well, so story number five um, is that according to a research report that Reuters put out, Rite Aid has, over the course of the last eight years, added facial recognition systems to 200 stores across the United States. So the cameras, this is how they work. They, they match facial images of customers entering a store to those of people that Rite Aid has previously observed engaging in potential criminal activity. And what happens is the cameras, after scanning a face, they will send an alert to the security agent's smartphones. Um, and then the agents who can review that match for accuracy could then go up to that customer in a store and tell that customer to leave. So there's a few issues with this technology. Number one is that it was largely largely deployed in lower income non-white neighborhoods, especially um, in according New to the York, reports. According to the reports, um, three times more likely in uh, the New York City markets and LA markets specifically. Uh, and Rite Aid came back and they said that you know the rollout was data driven. It was based on the those stores' theft histories um, and local and national crime data and site infrastructure. Um, So the intent for this facial recognition technology was to deter theft and protect staff and customers from violence. Uh, Reuters announced that after sending the findings to Rite Aid, they had announced last week that they had quit using facial recognition software and said that all the cameras have been turned off. Yeah, this one's a, this one's a doozy. This one's a humdinger. I mean, let me, let's start here. I think you guys, all three of us have worked retail and I know Mm -hmm. the perspective I bring it from having worked at Target let me just set the table for everyone listening. If you were working retail and say like a J crew Levi's, we don't have to talk about any specific company practices, but like if you suspected theft, there were probably procedures that you had to follow before you even talked to somebody about theft, right? Like what, what were Absolutely. some of those things? Like, and what were those for you? I mean, we would have like scenarios where you'd have like groups coming in and like tables would be cleared. But number one was always to first and foremost, make sure that the staff and the uh, customers were safe, that you're not doing anything that would endanger those people. But it was, yeah, go, you know, alert a manager. We had, you know, walkies that we would let people know about. I know like in some stores, they have code words that they're using for different things to, you know, be discreet to notify them. And I'm even talking more going on. And I'm even talking more about before you even go talk to somebody. Like there were like things like, you know, did you see somebody take something? Did they have that in possession with them the entire did you keep eye 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 line of sight on that possession the entire time you were watching them? Did they attempt to leave the store with it after you did all of those things? Those are like all the things you had to do to your point, protect your safety and also to honestly protect the person that you're potentially accusing of of, you know, doing something nefarious, which you want to be sure about before you go and do this. So like, Emma, did you have those types of things, you know, when you've been working retail? 
Yeah, the stores that I've worked at, it was pretty much you kind of watch, tell your manager, but you're not, I mean, you cannot accuse anybody of anything. The only thing you can do is once they leave, call like mall security. And that was pretty much the procedure put in place. Yeah. I mean, so that's where this like goes again. This is like a totally different line that you're crossing now where you're saying like someone who has just done something in the past is now entering the threshold of the building. And now you're saying, okay, hmm. done. Like I, it's, it's a little bit, yeah, you get in a little bit of this range of a guilty before, you know, you've actually done something, which I think is a, is a very slippery slope. And I think it's why you've seen, you know, so many companies pull this back, including Amazon, who's now, I think, you know, has, has, you know, halted a lot of their progress in this industry for the next year, they've stated publicly. And well, that that's my whole point with this. Like, if facial recognition technology was at a level that it was so confident and working so well, why wouldn't Amazon Go be using this 100% in their stores? Why wouldn't that be rolled out and that they have exact knowledge, there's no like other additional checkpoints why wouldn't this technology be be used in other purposes um, the way that they think that they can apply it now to security? Um, Walmart, Home Depot, Menards, ten, tons of other retailers have tried this and it was unsuccessful. It wasn't giving them the 100% degree of confidence that it is able to match this person to another person or you know that it's going to work with 100% accuracy. And so I think to have continue this. I, I can't fault somebody for trying to leverage technology to reduce theft. I get that that's something that you're trying to do to maintain a business and to operate a business. But this particular technology has proven time and time again that it is not developed to the, the level that it needs to be for this to be used in the way that Rite Aid was using it. Well, and again, and again, let's see, let's, and let's make sure there's some, some, some clear delineations there too. Like even Amazon Go, I've talked to them specifically. I've talked to their PR department about this routinely. No facial recognition used within that. And like facial recognition, even in and of itself as a technology, when you just talk about retail experiences, there's probably so many more pluses on the consumer facing side about how you can shop. And to your point, we're not even seeing it there right. yet because of how little we understand this. And then you talk about the theft side, the key point being, and what you're saying is that it's identifying the people. It's not identifying the practice, the action. And that's why I wanted to spend time on that in the beginning to make sure the audience understands there are all these things retailers do when they are suspecting that something is not, is, is happening in the stores that shouldn't be. It's not just saying, okay, let's look at this person and suspect that it's going to happen and then try to cut it off at, in the front end. Those are two really, really different things that are happening here. And regardless of how well that technology works, if you're going to cross that line, you better be prepared to think about what the ramifications are uh, down the road. But again, we're not even seeing it on some of the other angles that it could be applied within retail that just make consumer experiences a lot, lot better. So... That concludes our show today. That was great. What do you guys got planned for this weekend? Any good streaming binges? I am back into shameless hardcore. Man, Fiona, she's having babies. Deb's babies. Fiona's not in the last season, I thought. Uh, I'm not in the last. I'm like season five. Oh, got it. Okay, okay. Ian's becoming a firefighter. Like there's some cool stuff going on in that show. This is such old news. This is like 10 years old. I'm a little late. Yeah. William, by the way, William H. Macy, really buff old dude. You wouldn't think about it, but he really is. He really is. What do you guys got planned? Emma, what are you doing? Oh, I might continue learning some of my harmonica skills. Um, Just picking up the harmonica casually. 
we got a few minutes yeah, here. Tell, tell the story about how you picked up the harmonica. Like, weren't you in the in the bathroom <laughs> and you saw your brother's harmonica and you're like, yeah, that seems like something I should do. Yeah, what, the, one of the first days that I got home, I was ta- I had taken a shower in my mom's bathroom and on the floor was my brother's harmonica he got a couple Christmases ago. And so I bathed it in rubbing alcohol and then decided that I was going to learn how to play harmonica. And it's actually harder than it looks. And I can I can exclusively play the intro to Piano Man. And that's it. Oh, my gosh. That's no time at all, Emma. I'm impressed. That's that's pretty impressive, actually. And by the way, I think to close out the show, nothing says, uh, uh, oh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Nothing says sanitary in the age of coronavirus, like finding a harmonica, or harmonica on the floor and learning to play it, a floor of a bathroom and learning to Play it. so it's all that. it's all within the same household, Chris. So I right. think technically that's safe. Right. It's I all quarantine. As long as things are quarantined, it's cool. No, you can't go play that harmonica. We can eat off I the floor. That... We can eat with our hands. Like everything's good. Everything flies. Anything goes. Right. That's the same. All right. But on that note, as always, thanks for sticking with us. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe to our podcast and our videos wherever you happen to listen to your podcast and watch our videos. Hopefully on YouTube. And as always, be careful out there.